Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode number 13 of the Pink Bike Podcast. I'm Mike Levy. I'm here with only two of my bosses today, uh, Brian Park, the Supreme Emperor of Editorial. Brian, how are you? Oh, man, I need new business cards. I know. That's pretty good, eh? That's pretty good, yeah. <laughs> Editorial Overlord. <laughs> You need Director a mask it to be calendars. Yeah, you need to you need like a giant Darth Vader mask and you breathe like <sighs> like uh Levy, where is your bike review? It's late. <sighs> <laughs> That's pretty much what I do. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like my job, my spirit animal is more like the the editor from Spider-Man who's like, "Get me pictures of the Spider-Man" all the time. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, that sort of urgency for sure. Yeah. 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 Casimir, you're here as usual. How are I'm you? Here. Yep, I'm good. Good, good. How many times did you ride bikes yesterday? Uh, just one ride yesterday. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Usually one, it's usually one a day, sometimes two, but usually yeah. once. Uh, we are missing James Smurthwaite today. He had a terrible mountain boarding accident at a trail center in the UK. Uh, something about too many crumpets and tea. I don't know what happened, but he's not here today. Instead, uh, I think, Casimir, you're going to read the news. But first, I got a question for you guys. We've been doing this for a while. What is the most interesting bike you've ever ridden, Casimir? Not test bikes, just, you know, since you've started riding. Most interesting? I mean, I'd say that Polygon is probably up there as far as the most different you took mine. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, it is yeah, in the last, I don't know, five or 10 years, that's kind of the most different looking bike and different riding. So yeah, that's the Polygon. Um, I can't remember the name now. It uses like square one technology. What's the name it's of that It's a Snuffleupagus bike. Yeah, I know. <laughs> People know what we're talking about though. The yeah, weird, they do. The strange looking Polygon. That's the, yeah. the most interesting bike that I've ridden. Yeah. I, think, I think that it looks really neat. Did it, did it ride well? Did you like how it rode, Casimir? Uh, I liked parts of Outroad. It wasn't my favorite in some parts, but other parts it was, yeah, I mean, it had a ton of travel and the way that it is definitely like a one that erases every single thing that you hit with it, you don't feel. Yeah. So that was impressive. Yeah. What about you, Brian? What's the most interesting bike you've ever ridden? Don't say a cargo bike. I know that's what you're thinking. No. Electric no, cargo was, bike? <laughs> electric cargo bike. No, I'm going to say Rocky Mountain Pipeline. Oh, which... That purple one? The original like the, pipeline, like the URT. Yeah, no, not like a modern whatever uh, thing. No, yeah. original Rocky Mountain pipeline. And yeah. it was interesting because it kind of ruined my expectations of bikes for a while because that was what I knew. It was like one of the first bikes. I didn't own it, but a buddy of mine owned it and I rode that. And that's kind of what informed my understanding of what a full suspension bike was. So it that, that's, that's not good. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so for people that don't know that first pipeline, uh, it was a URT with a, sort of like a fairly high pivot, not Klein Mantra high, but no. way higher than a Trek Y bike. How much travel? I think you could change with a quick release. Oh, it had yeah. like three different positions. You could change the amount of travel with a quick release. And I'm pretty sure it wasn't accurate, but it was like three, four or five inches yeah. or something like that. Yeah. Not only are my wheels quick release, my freaking shock is quick release. Yeah. Rocky <laughs> like that. Remember the ETSX? Yeah. Yeah. I, I rode one yeah. of those for a while. <laughs> that and as a bonus. That as carbon bonus. pipeline was gorgeous. Yeah, it was. It was made in Calgary. Oh, shit. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Um, the, I don't know if all of them were, but I know that, that like the pipe, some of the pipelines in 2XS were made in Calgary. Yeah. Um, but as a bonus with that, uh, with that, travel adjustment is your front end got much steeper when you got more travel 
<laughs> That's Perfect. exactly what you want, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you just run it way softer so you have more sag. So it slackens the head angle. That's what they were thinking, right? (laughs) That's exactly what they were thinking. (laughs) All I know is that there were no compromises. Yeah, of course. (laughs) There's no compromises ever with any of these bikes. (laughs) So we've had a pretty busy last week, haven't we? With all sorts of bike launches and all sorts of news. Um, We've seen the new Transition Spur and the new Yeti. Casimir, you're going to tell us about the news? Yeah. Take it away. Uh, yeah, so in the news, like you said, new transition spur is something a little bit different from them. Uh, this one has 120 millimeters of front and rear travel. Definitely falls into that down country category, I'd say. Uh, Levy, you said it's for the intended uses for everything. Yeah. That kind of fits. I guess it's such a also mentioned it's got a 66 degree head tube angle, 480 millimeter reach on a size large. I mean, those are numbers that definitely were, you know, those would be your enduro bikes from a few years ago. And now there's a little 120, pretty light bike. Yeah. Two years ago, Levy from two years ago would have looked at that reach number and said, oh, hell no. And yeah. I tell you what, Levy today, I've been riding that bike for how long have I had it? A couple of weeks now? It's here for the field test. So everyone's mm-hmm. going to see a big video review of it. Ooh, feels like home. That 480 mil reach feels real good, Kaz. Yeah, it feels pretty comfy once you're oh, on it, right? Oh, man, that bike. Yeah. So I don't want to just say everything now. This isn't the review now, obviously, but holy shit, that bike is fast. <laughs> Yeah. So we put our control tires on it. They're Schwalbe, what are they? Kazakh like Racing Ralph and Racing Ray, I think. Yeah, something like that. Rocket yeah. Ron. Yeah, Rocket Ron. I don't know. Some things with like toilet how paper weird, side How weird would light. it be if Schwalbe came out with a, a tire that was just called like, like the, I'm trying, just something aggressive, like the Shredder or something. It like wouldn't work. The regular name. It wouldn't work. Without alliteration. Like the careful Kevin. It's a semi-slick. You need to be like super careful. <laughs> Rolls really fast though. <laughs> That's what they need to go with. I think their next one coming out doesn't have alliteration. What? But it's still like a clever name. But Look. does it have like rhyme or something? Is it still like a... It's like a, a play on word. of a person? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so it's still like sweaty Betty or something? Similar, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Scared Steve? Does that work? Not the same. Yeah, it's alliteration. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, anyways, so yeah. anyways, this transition... Levy. <laughs> that does work. <laughs> this transition, it does not ride like a 120-millimeter bike. I talked to Lars Sternberg a bit about it yesterday, and um, they, were, they were definitely worried because it's not... Not worried is not the right word, but it's definitely like not their usual bike. You know, like I think transition, I think like a 160 thing that smashes into the things and, and isn't terribly light. Uh, this thing weighs 24 pounds. It's also not terribly light, though. Well, the frame and and shock is 2,500 grams, which is not terribly light. But for how this bike is, how this bike can be ridden, it weighs under 25 pounds. Like, yeah, I would say I don't want it anymore. That's the lightest bike they've ever made. Yeah. Yeah. It's also good. Like, I don't, I don't necessarily think frames are the best place to save weight on a, on some of these designs, too. Like, I'd rather have a bike that lasts a little longer. I mean, 24 pounds is like, 12 pounds lighter than a lot of these bikes that are coming in for me to test. So I'm jealous. I want a spur. Yeah, over there with this 40 pound raw Madonna. <laughs> yeah, these, I know. These just like aluminum tanks come in. I'm like, oh, I could just go for a little like 120 ripper and have a good hey, time. Hey, you said you didn't want to do this cross country shit, Cass. You could be here with me wearing Lycra. No, I would do it. I just can't cross the border. Oh. Corona. Yeah. I like the little bikes too. Do you like yeah. Lycra? You'd have to wear Lycra. No, I refuse to wear Lycra. It's a silly fashion thing, but that's a different topic. Yeah, that is. Yeah, let's move on with the news. <laughs> Anyways, Transition Spur, good bike. You can look for the uh, the full review in the XE field test results. 
And but speaking of short travel bikes, Yeti has a new one. It's the well, sort of new. It's the SB115. So this has, like you'd expect, 115 millimeters of rear travel, 130 millimeter fork, 67.6 degree head angle. It's basically the SB100, same front and rear triangle. They just gave it longer shock, new link. Levy, you've had it at the field test. Yep. I also had the SB100 in 2018 when it came out. And thinking back, actually, I went back and read that, reread that review. And man, did I like that bike, that SB100 at the time, like rocket ship. And rear suspension was super capable. That was the takeaway for me. Like for 100 millimeters, you could set it up with like 30-something percent sag and it didn't smash into the end of the travels. Relatively supple. The SB115, yeah, it feels like an SB100. That's not a bad thing. Um, but, but basically what Yeti's done, they're using the front and rear triangles, the same molds, I should say, that they did for the SB100. It's a longer travel fork. Uh, so the large has a 450-something millimeter reach, I think. Um, so the numbers are definitely conservative, more conservative because they're using that mold from 2018, but the bike has been a blast, um, a little more nimble, uh, and the rear suspension. I like that switch infinity stuff, Kaz. Yeah, I do too. I like the SB 4.5, which is like from an even longer ago, four or five years ago. That was still one of my favorite bikes. It's just super easy to maneuver and, you know, you can ride them hard. I don't know. They do, there's something good going on there, but it's interesting with this one that they didn't really, their other bikes are really progressive as far as geometry goes. And this one's just more of a, it's kind of like the lunch ride treatment where they just tweak it a bit, but it's not a full new, yeah. um, brand new model, I would say. And we should say like, here we just talked about this transition. It's a large, a 480, and this large Yeti is a 450. There's no right or wrong here. A ton of people are going to suit that Yeti more than they suit the transition. Um, that Switch Infinity thing, I would say I like it a lot just because it is so what's the word, like all around, like it does all the things good. <laughs> yeah, they, they figured that. So, I mean, what what's weird about the sizing on the Yeti isn't that they've gone with a 450 size large. It's that the it does, because it's not updated, it doesn't really fit into the rest of Yetis. Mm -hmm. They were constrained with, it doesn't fit into the rest of their sizing schemes a little yeah. bit. Yeah, you could have an SB150 that has like a 480 reach for large and then buy the SB150. 115 and has 450 you know and normally we'd see we'd see an more xc-ish bike drop maybe 10 mils 15 mils off the reach just for a slightly longer stammer and a little bit more maneuverability but but you're not this this is a pretty big jump yeah so yeah it'd be interesting to see how it stacks up against these other bikes you've got on the field test so is cool it to see is it light uh no light? i want to say it's 27 something pounds okay yeah but it does have i don't have it here in front of me but it does have a fairly burly parts kit on it you know a little short stem big old handlebar and yeah and that's like a 34 where like the transition had the sid with the sid stuff i think the sid fork and shock weigh the same as a pike so yeah. like, <laughs> yeah. it's true like combined they weigh the same as a pike so yeah. there's definitely weight savings when you put lighter it's stuff. got some really wide aluminum dt swiss wheels on it too the widest wheels of the bunch so yeah cool. uh, yeah and Keep rolling with the XC train. There's also a new Specialized Epic and Epic Evo that came out. And Levy's been spending time Rocket with those chips, as well. Rocket chips, Casimir. Rocket yeah, chips. Yeah, those things. They look good, too. I like how they look. Well, yeah. I'll disagree with you there, but... Yeah, that's all right. They, that's because you're wrong, Levy. Yeah. <laughs> that, I'm wrong all that the green time. One, this is not news. <laughs> the green with the small tires. I'm a fan of that look. Dude, it looks... No, I don't... I, it just does, it doesn't look... It doesn't look good. I don't like the way it looks, but holy it fuck. It looks on the trail. Classic. Yeah, classic. I'll give you. It that. looks classic. Yeah. Love it. That epic. That epic Evo. It weighs twenty-one something pounds. Like yeah, it's crazy the, light. They're so light for what they are. 
and, and I think weight Evo matters, dude. Like on the trip, people say like, I don't care how much my bike weighs, but you get on like a 25 pound bike and then you get on a 21 pound bike, like a 25 pound bike made for Squamish is relatively light. You yeah, know? that's light. A 21 pound Epic Evo here, it feels invisible underneath you. Yeah, that's it's awesome. crazy that that bike is is literally like two Epic Evo frames is just ever so slightly heavier than one of those Yetis, Yeti frames. That math confused me, but I think you're saying that it's a really light bike and I it's, agree. It's like almost <laughs> half the weight. It's yeah. crazy. Like 16, yeah. 1659 grams is crazy, crazy light. Yeah, it's awesome. I want to ride that too. It rides like that too. It feels super light. It feels like you could just pick it up off the ground. There are times when it's rough. It almost feels a little skittery because it mm-hmm. it is so light. Um, we're not going to get into the field test field test stuff super in depth, but I will say that like the Epic Evo, it definitely uses the same front triangle but non brain suspension, and it feels a little more XC than some of you know than that transition obviously or than the Revel obviously. So moving on from these super light cross-country bikes, we've got Commonsol keeps rolling out bikes. It seems like every day there's a new Commonsol launch. Uh, the latest was the Meta Hardtail, and then there's the Meta AM29, the Clash, uh, and also the Meta TR. So I've been spending time in that TR a little bit. All the aluminum. All the aluminum. Lots, they, they don't hold back on the aluminum. All the weight, too. That, too, yeah. It's like 34 pounds or so, or maybe 35 now that I put some different tires on it, but... How are those things riding, Kes? They're good, yeah. I get, like the Meta TR is fun. It's a really good bike for around here. It's pretty long. It's 490 reach with like pretty short back end. That's your enduro trail bike, just to clarify. Yeah, it is. It is. It's like 60, yeah, 64 degree head angle. And yeah. I don't know. There's a lot of numbers in my head, but either way, it's slack and long. Yeah. I like it. It definitely with that shorter back end and the longer front, you can sometimes the back end does its own thing and just kind of like lose it a bit. I think it's, I'm kind of, I don't know. It's a little bit longer than my ideal reach number, but what it's is the very reach rideable. 490. Oh, boy. Yeah. So it's yeah. like, I think I'm starting to find the point where I'm comfortable. Like, I'm finding my limit, I think, with reach yeah. on bikes. Possibly. So, Cass, you're, what are you, like 5'11"? Five, 5'11". Five, what is your, if you had a preferred reach number, not to get too off topic here, but what is it? Yeah, I, I think it is in that 480, 485 range. Maybe even a little short, like 480. What's, your C, really what's the C2 on that? It's steep. It's a, I don't know, 77 degrees or something. Like climbing position is fine. The top tube length is right within my ideal. It's just more descending. Sometimes it feels like a little big. Um, but again, it's super manageable. Like it's not crazy, but I do have another bike that like that Privateer is 490 and that has a longer back end too. So the whole thing, that Privateer has been taking me for some rides. So I don't know. I'm figuring out geometry, I guess. <laughs> Are you getting a Meta AM in for testing as well? Uh, not at the moment. We just got that Meta TR, which is just a little bit short it's 140 160 but it's an enduro bike like it's yeah 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 there's not it's funny because i have another bike that i'm testing now that's 140 160 same suspension almost and it's so different because it's yeah it's not this one yeah i know anyways lots of common saws there's by the time this podcast come out comes out the new uh mullet supreme dh will come out and so that's kind of like we saw specialize you earlier with the demo big wheel in front little wheel in back Omri was going to be racing that this season. Sounds like he will once the racing starts again. But that's not really the story there. The story is the video of Omri actually riding oh my, the bike. Oh, my God. It's ridiculous. If you haven't seen it, just pause the podcast and watch Omri riding the Common Soul Supreme. It's ridiculous. Actually, you should, you should definitely do that anyways, just regularly. Yeah, everybody should watch it because he knows how to ride a bike very, very well. 
Yeah. So watch that. And let's see what else we have in the news. We've got good news for Canadians. Whistler Bike Park is open. Some extra safety precautions going on. People have to wear masks and there's the social distancing and all that. But looks like it was a good opening day. Unfortunately, the border's closed for everybody else. So, Do you have to wear masks on the trailer, Cass? No, I don't think well, I don't think so. Or in the lineup, or what's in the, in lineup, the lineup? I think in, in the, lineup, the lineup, and then it's yeah. like it's like if you went to the grocery store where they had strict yeah. restrictions, yeah. and you have to, yeah. and you're supposed really, to like stay with your riding people. I don't, I doubt they have a singles line because they need to be just like randomly exposed to new germs each chairlift ride. Yeah. <laughs> All right, and we also have Sea Otter was canceled again this year. Sea Otter was originally going to be in October, I believe. They rescheduled it from its normal April date, and now it's been canceled and replaced with some sort of virtual trade show. Probably similar to what we did with Pond Beaver, where they'll be offering uh, people can look at all this stuff online instead of going to California in person. Kaz, are you ready to travel again yet? Uh, yeah, I would travel. I'm, I want to, I don't know. I usually travel so much each year. It's been a really strange year not getting to go to new places. So. It's been weird. Yeah, I miss it. Staying home, I'm in the fittest, the fittest shape I've been in in years because we haven't had to, I haven't been like eating airport food and yeah. All that it's kind stuff. of crazy that I've had to been, I'm like, oh, I'm probably overtrained right now because I've been riding so much. I'm like, I don't know, six days a week. And you're like, I should take a rest day. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, I like that. Like, luckily I live in a good place to ride, but yeah, I'm definitely ready to go some new places. Right. Exactly. Eventually. All right. America's let's get on to questions. We have a whole bunch of them here today. And the first one is from, oh, this, this guy's username rolls right off the tongue. KJP1230. He says, he has a naive question. He prefaces with that. That's good. Uh, as a certified non-engineer, let's say hypothetically that a few different bike designers um, were all to get together and design four bikes with identical geometry and then tune their suspension design, compression and rebound settings to deliver identical suspension properties. So he's saying the same anti-squat, the same leverage ratio, all that stuff. Would all these bikes ride identically? achieving the same kinematics via different suspension designs. Uh, what, I'm, what he's trying to get at is there's something inherent to the feel of a given suspension design. Or with the right tuning, can he make just about any suspension design ride like any other suspension design? We need our, we need our caged engineer, Dan Roberts, yeah. here for this one. There's some stuff. To, there's a lot to unpack here. Yeah. yeah. It'd be an interesting experiment. It'd be hard to do make it all exactly the same for all the numbers. But if you could, I feel like they'd ride pretty similar. Yeah. So what I would say about this is that something like a, a, a horse link or a DW link, they're different because they're designed to be different. You know, the, a horse link has very different characteristics to it than a DW link on the trail when you ride it. Um, now, I guess this question is, could you make the DW link feel like a horse link? Well, I think there's sort of two questions. One is, can you can you use compression rebound like shock settings to make us one suspension design feel like another one and i'd say the answer is only very only very slightly but the other question is if you make is the suspension design more than the sum of its parts more than just the anti-squat characteristics and the the curve and all the rest and in that it's no it's like the numbers don't lie it, we there might be some other kinematic uh key numbers that we don't currently track or think about that we don't understand that would make a difference. But if you, if all of the curves were the same, they would react the same. We're, we're still constrained by, by physics. 
Yep. All right, yeah, KJP1230. Did that answer your question? Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> hey, Kaz, if you could ro- test ride a bike blindfolded, let's just say you could. You didn't look down. You couldn't look down to tell what you were riding. You're on a horse link bike. You're on a DW bike. Uh, you're on a high single pivot bike. I'm pretty confident that you could tell the difference between them. You would know something different is going on. Correct, right? Yeah, I think so. Yep. Yeah. You know, maybe the difference between a single pivot and a horse link might be hard to detect. That one, I feel like they can make those two really similar, but um, some of the more, I guess, the the more unique suspension uh, designs would, would be easier to tell, I think. Yeah. The designs that tend to focus on, like, maybe put more focus on one aspect, they're very mm-hmm. easy to tell. Yeah. Okay, moving on. Uh, we got J.L. Banta. He says, I'd love to hear y'all's thoughts on carbon versus aluminum wheels. This, is this Daniel Sapp, y'all, yeah. <laughs> from North Carolina? He says, I switched back to alloy wheels a while back to reduce harshness when riding. Uh, now I'm curious about carbon wheels with Kushkor inserts. The weight would be roughly the same compared to alloy, but I get the added benefit of stiffer wheels and uh, tire support from the inserts. So my thoughts on carbon and aluminum wheels I mean, if I had to go out and buy wheels, I would never buy a set of carbon wheels. There's zero reason to buy them. What about let's you, take, Let's take price out of the equation because he hasn't mentioned price at all. Um, so don't worry about buying them. It's just about what you would have if, uh, you know, if you were in a similar situation to the one you are where just bike parts are floating around all the time. I think I'd run carbon. I mean, it's not, it's almost not popular to say you, you'd like the feel of carbon wheels because then it's like, oh, you're in a carbon, I don't even know. People just get mad about that. But I've had relatively good luck with carbon wheels with some notable exceptions. But the the fact that they don't dent as easy and you don't have to spend as much time truing them up, mm-hmm. it's, it's, I do like that. Like I don't have to spend very much time at all truing wheels these days because yeah. I'm spoiled by the number of bikes that come in with carbon wheels. But like yeah. aluminum, again, on the budget for sure, aluminum, not even on a budget, I'm just like, normal life just like the way they go yeah yeah but there are more carbon wheels that are more affordable and they do seem to be like really resistant to denting or needing to be trued very often but but you guys don't put much stock in the in the reduced harshness side of claim of the claims on on carbon wheels like that's what he he's, he's considering switching back to carbon wheels um with Kushkor. no he looked he wanted to, yeah he his goal this guy here he found that the carbon wheels were harsh which they often are. Yeah, some of uh, yeah, some of them are. They've gotten better in the last three years or so, but now he wants to go back to carbon but with Kushkor to make them less harsh. I think. Oh, right. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Sorry, that makes sense. So he could do that. I mean, and you're, the problem is you're putting a lot of expense and weight. Like, Kushkor is heavy, so then you have, you're going to have heavy carbon wheels that might feel just like your aluminum ones. <laughs> I'm not sure. Well, they'd be a little bit stiffer than his aluminum wheels, and you'd, there are other. You, he could run slightly lower pressures. Yeah, I mean it's a totally fine tactic. Like it'll save your carbon wheels too. Like that Kushkor helps prevent them from breaking. So mm-hmm. there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, in the last two weeks, I've broken a carbon rim, and I've pretty much uh, garbaged an aluminum rim as well. It's too dented to tubeless now. So maybe you should run slightly higher pressure. Hey, uh, no, you don't only run 17. You don't have to run any more than that. Yeah, I don't think so. I don't think that's it. I think it's just my choice. Yeah. <laughs> <Line> choice. <laughs> yeah. So anyways, for this guy, I think he could, yeah, he could run Kushkor with the carbon wheels and it's a good compromise. Um, 
Yeah, that would be if if I was running a set of carbon wheels that I bought, I would 100% put a cush core or some sort of insert in the back. 100%. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's the thing too. You don't necessarily need to insert front and rear. It's fine. Just stick it in the back and yep. benefit from the lighter weight in the front. Uh, Chris Brown, 225. Uh, potential topic for discussion. Do we focus too much on the equipment and not enough on the skills? How much of an effect does having the best bike with the best parts have on performance? Does the average middle-of-the-road ability rider gain that much from buying anything more than the average middle-of-the-road bike? Uh, they definitely do not, as long as they got some smart geo, the proper geometry. Um, no. Hell no. Amori, Amori Piron could beat 99.99999% of people who mountain bike on a $200 bike down Champery or something. Like, no question. Yeah, you can't buy skills via a bike. Like you're better to, like, yeah. But there's nothing wrong with having a fancy bike either. There, you know, yeah. people like to shame I, people for being beginners with fancy bikes. Like, why not? If, if they can afford it, like, have a fancy bike, and then really, there's no excuses for your performance. Then, so hopefully, you take some. Also, lessons. also, like, I feel more confident on one thing than another. Like, I, I've got a skill ceiling for sure. So why not try and get the most out of my rides? It's fine. Yeah, I don't. I don't like how people seem to get down on people that are into the tech. That's a big part of why I'm into this sport. I love the tech. It's super interesting stuff, you know. Yeah, I agree. There's no, and I, I don't. I don't agree with shaming people because they can afford a nice bike. It's like shaming a dude that can, you know, he bought a Lamborghini or something. Like that's if that's what he's really into. Like, leave. If you had money, I'm sure you would buy a Porsche or whatever your favorite yeah. supercar is, right? Oh, yeah. Like, oh, yeah. Levy would yeah. find all kinds of creative ways to ruin nice cars. Yeah, totally. It'd be like 100%. The opposite, the opposite of the Singer Porsche would be the Levy Porsche. It would just be like so messed up. <laughs> but yeah, you know, I don't I don't agree with the shaming. Um, I mean, it's fine to complain when things are expensive, but I don't think you need to shame people for having nice parts and bikes. Look at these look at these tech technical editors feeling threatened because somebody says that <laughs> the thing that they spend their entire life focused on doesn't matter as much as they think. No, I think <laughs> I see it more as almost like people are like shaming people they see like on the trails and stuff. Like People like to just talk shit because they saw some guy. Oh, is it, you know, the dentist bike is a funny one. Like, I think it's funny, but like, I don't think you can just be mad at someone for having a nice bike. Oh, I can't count the amount of times like you've been on the side of the trail with your bros and somebody passes you on a very nice bike and maybe they're not riding that quickly. And somebody in your group says something. Yeah. Something terrible. Yeah. 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 I don't know. Yeah. But either way, yeah, a middle-of-the-road rider on a middle-of-the-road bike or an expensive bike will still be a middle-of-the-road rider. Yeah. Uh, and finally, last question we got, Go Cougars. He says, can we expect a refresh of Le Blur following a similar pattern in the coming months then? So I've ridden that, uh, the, the latest Blur. I tested it when it came out, I think, two years ago now. Kaz, are we mm -hmm. going to see a new one? Did you hear anything? I'm not sure. I haven't heard anything. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised, but it'd be interesting to see if they do go that lower link VPP layout, uh, just because it's such a short travel bike and kind of the, in the name of weight savings, it might be harder to make that a lighter weight, as light a weight package as they want, but we'll see what happens. I, I can guarantee that we will see a new blur at some point soon. <laughs> so oh, yeah, I'm no, within I, the next two years. <laughs> yeah, no, there'll be a new blur. I just don't know if it's going to follow the, like the, the suspension layout of that, uh, yeah, the fifty ten. Well, one thing's for sure: if there is a new blur, it's going to look like a Santa Cruz, which is using those two links, whether it's the lower link or the shock mounted up high. And man, you know, I love how these Santa Cruz bikes ride, but one thing that I've always said about them is they don't look that interesting. 
which sort of brings us to our our discussion. Why aren't bikes interesting anymore? Are they too regular? Are bikes too regular now? I don't think that those Santa Cruz... I like that the Santa Cruz's look like Santa Cruz's. You just look at them, you know exactly what it is. Oh, yeah, that's because you used to work at Rocky Mountain. Every Rocky Mountain looks the same too. If you stand back 100 feet, every <laughs> Santa Cruz looks like a Santa Cruz. And that's very purposeful. That's done on purpose. Same with Rocky Mountain. But I want to be able to look at the bike and be like, oh, look at that thing. That's that new thing, you know, that does that with the thing. None, none of them do that. <laughs> yeah, it's a little harder to roll up the trail and someone's like, oh, you've got the new 5010 when they might think you already have the, the Bronson or the Mega Tower or the Nomad. Or yeah. Do you, do you guys think that that sort of realm of, man, that thing is crazy. Man, that thing is interesting. Are we only seeing that now with these home-built bikes and less so with these big brands? There is a ton of nostalgia in the comments that I see people saying like, oh, like things are too normal. Things are too the same. No, where's the innovation? There's no more innovation. I see that a lot. I think do a lot of people do feel that way. I do. Yeah, it's but, all me and my like 17 different <laughs> yeah, PB accounts. accounts. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. But we have seen some cool stuff come out. I mean, I just you know the uh, think of the new Enduro that came out so last year. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know that's a cool looking bike. It might use the same suspension design. It's a horse link at heart, but that bike looks cool. Looks futuristic. So yeah, I, I do think the big companies are still putting out interesting things. But you're right. I don't. It is, there is something when you see these really crazy homemade steel contraptions with chains and double chains and all that. It kind of brings you, makes you a little nostalgic. I think it's 100% true that the majority of bikes fall today fall into, you know, four bar horse links now that specialized patents run out, some short dual link designs, um, although less than you'd think uh, now that that patents run out too. Um, they're for sure outliers, high single pivots, some flex stays that kind of stuff, but gut feel, my my perception of new bikes in 2020 is the vast majority of them are four-bar horse links with a uh, reasonable quantity of second-place dual links. Yeah, and the vast majority of them are really good because of that. Yeah. yeah. But they're also sort of not exciting. <laughs> yeah, fair. Yeah, it's, I mean, the, they're... Yeah, they do feel similar. A lot of these bikes, the way that the suspension actually performs, you know, there's there's differences, but it's getting a little. There's not. It's rare that a bike comes in and you ride it, and you're like, oh, this thing is crazy different than anything I've ever ridden before. Yeah, um, where's, for better or worse. Where's our eye drives? You know. Yeah. GT be, did this did this big video series on the on the their suspension over the years, and I've, I haven't watched all of them, but when I've watched them, it's like, oh wow, like it's kind of like watching Titanic. Like you're watching people develop this stuff that you know that in the long run they just go with a with a four bar horse link like you know the ending well do they know the ending though Uh, well in this case they've you know they tried a whole bunch of interesting stuff and in the end they went back went to a very homogenous regular good but regular design yeah i Um, would like to know i would like to have a truthful serious real answer to this question gt that old iDrive, how much of that was, hey, this could be better or this is better. We actually believe it's better. And how much of it was like, we have to do something different. How much of it is different for different sake? Not just GT. I'd like to know that about All of a them. lot of brands. Yeah. But I would, I would say that the things that people were looking for out of suspension was pretty different back then. And consumers were not, they were so afraid of giving up pedaling performance. Um, that you needed 
you needed marketing copy that said no compromises, you know, but it's true. We've seen a, the death of a lot of these designs. Um, so Cannondale's gone regular too. Like, yes, they're doing interesting stuff with their downhill bike, but their bread and butter is, is, uh, all pretty normal compared to what we're used to seeing from Cannondale. What, what else, what else are we missing for stuff that, stuff that was weird? Like the magic link stuff from that Kona? That was crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's gone. No, you know, trust is gone. Yeah. 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 I think even some like frame shapes. Remember, they used to be a lot wilder frame shapes, the old intenses or like the mountain cycles, just these big monocoque designs. You don't really see that anymore. Everything's kind of slimmed down. I mean, the Klein Mantra. The Klein Mantra, also very Everybody different. Everybody knows what works better, and that's such a bummer. I know. <laughs> everyone gets so smart. It's much less boring. <laughs> and yeah. also, like URTs, the best thing about URTs is you can make them look really cool. Yeah, that Y bike. Yes. The mantra. So the mantra. Yeah. 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 Was a slingshot a URT? E- technically. Technically, let me look. What? How does that? Work? Am I technically correct? <laughs> it's the best kind. I don't know. That's cables. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it is technically a URT, I think, because the pivot is literally at your at your top tube seat tube junction. It's at the seat clamp. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's the U-est yeah. of RTs. Yeah. yeah. At Proflex, like we can list off all of the old 90s brands and they all had some crazy looking stuff. And there's a reason some of them aren't around anymore also though. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I think it's worth mentioning that there are exceptions right now. There are some people doing pretty cool shit. Um, not Maybe not just with suspension. Um, hey, but. hey, one, one second. Before we go on to these these exceptions here, I, I just want to keep talking about Magic Links and URTs for that. one yeah, minute. It. Okay? Let's do it. <laughs> have, 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 you guys, have you guys ridden a URT before? Like an old one? Yeah. That's why I brought up my... So I brought up the pipeline. Oh, yeah. Can, no, what did it ride back, like, right? Yeah. Well, bec- it ruined me because to me it felt really normal. I didn't know any better. Um, and then I got on a on a giant i forget what what it was ds1 or something later and felt very different felt you're, a lot you're more con- active you're confused by the suspension not locking out when you stood up yeah. uh, what was the what was the uh, the tagline for all the all the urt designs Sus- suspend the no no that was for suspension stems was suspend the rider not the bike forgot about that yeah they um, have got soft ride bikes with the beam the like beam? the one yeah. like diving board that you're supposed to sit on that was good. Kaz, did you ever ride a Magic Link bike? I never did. No, I saw a lot come in the shop. Those so, things. Took- someone at Kona right now is like, huh, what? what? Like, what? Magic wrong. Link. <laughs> I'd prefer if you didn't talk about that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's a shiver. Just yeah. yeah. It got cold in here. <laughs> yeah. Another one of those designs, you know, on paper, I'm sure it looks amazing. And then you're like, that guy's still trying to do, trying to, trying to do the thing. Yeah. 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 Hey. Listeners, Pink Bike listeners, something that I've always wanted to do is review some of these old bikes. If you guys would be interested in that, like, you know, we get in a Magic Link bike, maybe we have to buy it from the buy and sell, or we get an old URT and we review it. To modern standards. To modern standards. I write a modern review on an old bike. I think that would be quite interesting. So if you, if you guys think that would be interesting, let us know and let's move on now to some exceptions, some interesting things that's going on today. I think yeah, we yeah. should give, I think we should give credit to that Yeti design. You guys both called it out as a design you really like. Um, I haven't spent enough time on it to, to really say, but it, those sliding, sliding bits are, are a short link that acts like a long link in their marketing speak, but it's pretty cool. It's a pretty cool way of achieving those goals. 
You mean the tiny shocks? Yeah, the mini shocks. <laughs> yeah, the extra little shocks. They're cute. <laughs> hey, why, did, why does that Yeti have three shocks? What's going on? <laughs> I like, the, I, hey, I'm old enough to remember the years of bikes that had all the different shocks. Like a Scott DH bike? <laughs> like a Scott DH bike or like the Carpiel. Yeah. Cannondale had yeah. two, yeah. right? They still do. They still do. Oh, yeah. Their new, their, their DH bike has. Yeah. Yeah. But, but these, yeah. So, yeah. I'm oh, sorry. These days, I think maybe pole sticks out in my mind. They're manufacturing. Leo's doing some crazy shit with that manufacturing. And um, I mean, the finished product looks absolutely gorgeous as well, too. The cool thing, the cool thing to me with pole isn't isn't the suspension or even the manufacturing on its own. It's that down the road, the manufacturing could be, you could get rid of so many steps if you have like a pole licensed machinist in Vancouver and a pole licensed machinist in Munich and a pole licensed machinist, you know. And what you steps? Down- shipping? Yeah, shipping, raw materials. You can yeah. you don't need to hold, carry as much stock. You can lower your costs a lot. Yeah. For sure. And hey, you can... You know those the old ads about like you wouldn't download a car like you could download. <laughs> I a would bike. totally download a car. <laughs> download a yeah. car. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I guess yeah, we might as well. We didn't uh, also uh, robot bikes, which are now Atherton bikes. That's another one. Like the additive lugs for the carbon tubes. It's another thing that like. But I think we're, we're getting away from the suspension. Like what we're really talking about is unique suspension stuff that that has kind of gone away. Yeah, I think it's. I mean, what really I think what's happened is that. People have figured out what works and it's, you know, if you're, you're a bike company, you're trying to make money. Like that is the goal because you want to sell things. So if you come out with some wacky thing that people aren't into, you're not going to make money. So who, who's doing wacky things out there right now? Polygon comes to mind with the snuffleupagus. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's one of the most people unique hire you looking. for the marketing. <laughs> that was actually Casimir that came up with snuffleupagus. Yeah. I call those snuffleupagus. I like Seth. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that thing was, is crazy looking and it rides very uniquely as well too. Very impressively in a lot of ways. Um, who else out there? Well, we said Cannondale's pretty regular now, but they do have a downhill bike with two shocks. They're not sort selling of, it. Sort yeah. of. Sort of two shocks. Yeah, yeah, exactly. One's empty apparently. One shock split in half. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Spot is using that carbon leaf spring. I was super impressed with that. It's just a flex pivot. No, nah, it's not though. More it's than that not. though. If you ride one, no, it, I mean, it's, it's, a flex active, pivot. it's a flex pivot, but they're able to tune it more than you would able be able to do with just a small amount of flex in a chain stay or seat stay. It's a flex pivot where they decided to take advantage of it instead of trying to minimize it. Yeah. 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 It's not well, a who else is doing it. Who else is doing what they're doing? Nobody. Well, that's that might... different. <laughs> so you agree with me. <laughs> so I'm correct. Things that are different. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> See, I've, I've ridden that bike a ton and that bike is doing something different. Kaz, you've ridden spots bikes too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I rode that, uh, the pre- like basically the previous version of what you're on, like a it, short travel thing. I liked it. They sort of act, it kind of kills me to say this a little bit, but they sort of act like they, like how spot says they act like full of energy mm-hmm. and yeah. 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 So, very snappy and nimble. Yep. Um, yeah, be interesting to see if the, how that would translate to a longer travel platform. If that would stay there, or if you would start losing that um, that feeling, you know. It does seem like we get we get designs from XC side up or downhill down. Like the weird stuff happens on the Super XC side with things like uh, like the Trek Super Caliber or, or the Spot kind of thing, or on the other side with the Cannondale downhill bike or some of these like high single pivot downhill bikes. And then it's unique when a brand like Forbidden brings that down to a trail bike, that high single pivot to a trail bike. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I mean, that's, 
one thing, you know, weight and complication, not everyone's really willing to accept those things for their trail bikes, but, you know, Forbidden's kind of one of the first, I'd say they're a small company, but they're the first one to kind of make a mass market, uh, high single pivot trail bike like that. We're also in the years where having a 32 pound trail bike is entirely appropriate because people expect a whole lot more from their trail bike. Um, and a lot of times these weird suspension designs and strange frames, they, they are heavier, a couple pounds heavier. So they make for a heavier bike. And now these or, nowadays it's okay. Yeah. Or, or they are suspension designs that have made compromises for weight savings, um, like leaf springs or like the super caliber or the flex days on the, on the new Epic and that kind of thing. Yeah, I would, I would probably think that spot would say that leaf spring down there is not for weight savings. I don't think that link oh, really? is any lighter. Like it uses a bunch of hardware, like a ton of bolts and stuff. And I think they're titanium, but hmm. still there's a ton of bolts down there. Okay. Yeah. I don't think it's any lighter, but, but do you think that they, do you think they would still do that same design on a, on a one fifty one sixty bike? Yeah. It's their, it's their USP. They have to. Right. Okay. Yeah. For marketing reasons. But do you think with that out the window that they would? Yeah. I think now that I've ridden on a short travel bike, I think it might be uh, especially effective on a longer travel bike where that sort of get up and go feeling is more noticeable when it's working well, when it's working effective. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Can't you just like run bushings on a regular bike? <laughs> hey, what's up, Rocky? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. I mean, I mean that element yeah. was so efficient. It was so efficient; it just didn't move. Like, yeah, you know. exactly. <laughs> Don't blame me. Uh, so, what is it? Do you think that's changed over the years that has that we've seen this where bikes maybe aren't as interesting anymore? Why do you think that's happened? I think there's a, a number of factors. I think one of them is the fact that uh, some of the patents ran out that previously prevented other companies from using maybe the suspension design they wanted to use. Yeah, so, uh, so they're not forced that. to do something strange is what you're saying. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like that horse link patent expired, uh, I don't even know now, seven years ago or so. Um, and Santa Cruz used to have that VPP suspension patent, which now I, I, they have the, they basically own the name VPP, so you have to call it dual short link or something else, but that one people should JS use as link. well. You can call it JS Link, yeah. So yeah, I think that that kind of gives companies, if you're starting with a blank slate, you're like, oh, well, this suspension design works really well. We can just use this on our new bike and don't need to pay any licensing fees or anything. Yeah, I also think that consumers won't, they won't accept marketing bullshit as much anymore. Um, they won't, they roll their eyes when they hear no compromises, climbs like an XC bike, descends like a downhill bike. They they understand that there are no magic bullets. You just, it, you know, just it's not a thing. Uh, and it used to be that people were so afraid of rear suspension robbing them of their energy. You know, now everybody understands that a little bit of movement back there is just fine. You're not going to lose the race that you have with yourself. Like, everything's fine. But they won't accept mistakes. They won't accept shitty feeling suspension or suspension that breaks because whatever. Um, so people go with what's proven. Mm -hmm. I think geometry as well, too, has been a big factor. Um, we all know now that geometry is everything. And if you can make a bike with really good geometry, you don't need to have some like wacky suspension design that's, you know, stands out from everybody else and carries you up the hill without you even pedaling and smooths everything out. Like people, like you said, consumers, yeah, that's what e are for. you all know that that's yeah. not true. <laughs> <laughs> You're not dumbasses. <laughs> yeah. 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 
also think we, we understand those data points a little bit better about suspensions. Software has changed, you know, we're better at modeling things and understanding what is and isn't going to work before we press go on a mule. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And upsides to that, like we're not, companies aren't sending out these bikes anymore. And I mean, it's wrong to say that brands were doing test research on consumers, but a lot of people felt that way. And like you break three frames, you bought, you bought your first one and you break it every month. Like that's exactly it's not wrong. <laughs> yeah. That's exactly what was happening yeah. in, in the two thousands for sure. Yeah. It's terrible. Yeah. But yeah, I think with a manufacturing thing too, you can make mules quicker. And I mean, even some, I know a specialized has their own carbon lab where they could actually like basically build a whole bike from carbon in-house in California. Um, you don't have to wait for bikes to come from Taiwan necessarily, or just a lot of the development. They R&D can test different layups and improved. things like that. Yeah. I actually think that development might like making mules might actually be slower now than it used to be. Just not that many places have in-house in-house uh, manufacturing. But now you can get a 3D, like, basically model of the yeah. bike printed up to look at where before that would right. have been a thing. Yeah, but n- not, like, necessarily a ride mule. Anyway, right, but you can get the yeah. points. Like, yeah. you can get your basic stuff settled mm-hmm. a little easier rather than need to wait yeah. for things. And, 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 like, I'm on team homogenization here, for sure. Don't get me wrong. I, uh, you know, there's no bleeding edge. You're not test, testing on consumers. And making little changes every couple of years to get to a better place is way better if you're for consumers levy's mad about this brian i have another name for your team team, team boring, boring. <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> true Hunter, team doesn't give technical editors anything to write about yeah <laughs> yeah it's hard we have another it's just another horse link bike you ride it's got the same geometry as the one you rode the week but before it, like oh yeah it, but if it works it make, like that's yeah if, if it's the right thing for consumers we gotta we've got to laud that you know they're cheaper less development costs you don't have to hire you don't have to pay crazy licensing fees to to suspension designers you don't have to think as much about suspension you don't have to do as many recalls (laughs) (laughs) um and and it works with existing available equipment like you don't have to design a new shock around your suspension design yeah, I agree. Yeah, it, like, homogenization may be more boring, but in the end, if it makes a cheaper, better product, that seems like it's the way to go. Levy. <sighs> I know. Fall asleep over there? <laughs> Someone's yeah. working on some crazy bike for you, I'm sure. For sure, everybody is on way better bikes today than they were years ago. Bikes are better. Um, they're way more reliable. I think we miss something, though, like... I think Brian, you made a note here that bikes are an extension of the personal of your like your sort of personal brand, sort of in the way that a car is or a truck is or whatever. Um, so here in Squamish, you know, there's everybody has a pickup truck. You know, you have a pickup truck because it makes complete sense. You put all your bikes in the back, you drive up the hill, and it's fine. But some people want something different. Some people want a Unimog, and there are there are less of those out there now. You know, some people want a mini. That they I wasn't going to bring up. I wasn't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I wasn't going to bring a up mini with cars. A, a mini with a suction cup yeah. bike rack we, on it. <laughs> can we? Can we lift your mini? It's fifteen hundred pounds. No, no. Can we lift it? Can we put a lift on it? No, you definitely can't. No. Oh come on. No, no, you definitely can't. <laughs> let's let's it drive so shitty your, now. Your imagine. Your yeah. it. <laughs> no, you definitely. It's can't. Just, it becomes a little ball. It just rolls. <laughs> yeah anyways that's my point i just wish it was interesting yeah 
Well, I think the interesting stuff is coming from these little garage builders or smaller companies that they can take the risks because they don't have as much, they're kind of making it for themselves. And then if they sell a few, that's almost an added bonus, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, like I, I Evan do, Turpin's thing. I do, yeah, Evan Turpin's thing's cool. It's a beautiful looking bike. I do think that there is, a, the one downside of modernization is there is less, maybe less progress. Like I like to think that some brands are doing behind the scenes innovation and then deciding, well, maybe this doesn't work. Let's do something regular instead. But I don't know, like I do, if I was starting a bike brand today, I, I would not, uh, I would not invest a million dollars in research to figure out that a suspension design that I've got in my brain doesn't work. I wouldn't do it. I would, I would. I mean, you invest a hundred thousand dollars in finding out that it doesn't work. And then you invest $900,000 in marketing <laughs> to convince <laughs> yeah. people that it works. <laughs> yeah. I, or, I ordered it. You ordered it already. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> Yeah. And I do think, I think that is really the verdict on all this stuff is that, man, different for different sake is not, is not the move. Um, yeah, yeah, it's just the, the, even, even though everybody has basically dual short length VPP or horse link designs, I mean, I know people are going to get so mad. We're going to get some calls from suspension designers saying we're oversimplifying things, but, but really there are not that many designs key like core designs out there bikes are getting more and more similar um but even then even when somebody comes out with another four bar bike they still always have to have some sort of acronym three letter acronym or tla and um (laughs) and you always have to have some reason why yours is better than somebody else's on the stupid sell sheet like well yeah i mean that's how how it works you have to sell things you need to have bullet points yeah Yeah. that's all it's true like i don't know (laughs) <laughs> right, but it's still not really fundamentally different from somebody else's. No, but I mean, look at cars. Like, there's a lot of cars. That the concept is the same. Like an engine, you know, like there's different kinds, but. Okay, I got a question to wrap this up for you guys. Brian, five years, no, let's say 10 years from now, are we going to end up like motorbikes? You know, there's there's four bar and there's single pivot. Mm-hmm. You know, like motorbikes only have, it's basically single pivot linkage activated. Are we going to end up with one or two suspension designs, do you think? Is that where we are already? I think, I think that's kind of where we are, where we all are already. Um, for the, in terms of the percentage of bikes sold, mount, like high-end mountain bikes sold, I think that the percentages of, of four bar and, and dual link bikes, it just vastly outweighs everything else. Um, with slight variations so here and there. and Yeah, exactly. Yep. Totally. Um, I do think that things that could upset that balance would be outside of, outside of traditional suspension design. So something like, uh, something like gearboxes or something that changed how packaging um, requirements. Levi's um, eyes just or, lit up at the magic gearboxes. I know. <laughs> you want to fight? Or, 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 or e-bikes or um, just things that fundamentally change the realities on the ground for what we expect out of a bike. A or, new sh- or shock technology. Shock, yeah. Something happens. Yeah. Exactly. I, I think that could change, you know, like if we, if electronic shocks are not where we'd like them to be yet, but if they were, then, and let's say electronic suspension is super cheap and super good all of a sudden, then it it's probably cheaper and stronger and more reliable to have all single pivot like not even linkage driven single pivots but just straight up single pivots you know 
Like if we can ride oranges, yeah, exactly. It'll go back to oranges. I don't know. Like something could happen in the industry that changes the balance um, and pushes us towards a different design. But yeah, I want more wood to come back. I like those more wood single pivots. Hmm. They're not that interesting. No. What's the most? What's the most interesting bike you would ride right now, Casimir? Is is there something weird out there that you would be like? I really want to ride that. Uh, well, we already mentioned Evan's bike, but like, there's like, I don't what's really that? Know. What's that active P? Acto- oh yeah, that thing, that company. Yeah. There's like Active Five. I think they're Active Five. Say they're German. Uh, they've got a like a, a high single pivot bike that looks cool. It looks amazing. Yeah, I think I'd want to try that. I know I keep bringing it up, but remember that resistance downhill bike with the Fox Forty oh, yeah. rear shock and the gearbox and all that thing. That was neat. I like oh, that. and then there's that guy. There's a guy in Oregon that's making that kind of terrain like control fiber thing. Yeah, terrain control industries. Yeah, that, that thing, thing is beautiful looking, isn't it? Uh huh. That's pretty cool. Yes. I mean, I'll ride anything, but yeah. that one's definitely stands out in my mind as something that's like, oh, that looks different. What What's an interesting bike that you guys would trust? Like that you would put, no pun intended, that you would put your money down as a consumer and go like, yep, I think, I think these guys have it. I'm, uh, I'm going to, an aluminum future, pump and sell <laughs> if I'm buying yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a regular link driven single pivot aluminum pump and saw. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, put I my money down. Arbor. Arbor was another bike too. Oh yeah. I, I think, honestly, those uh, polygons, you know, the, the geometry, uh, I, I haven't looked at the latest geometry. I don't know if they've updated it, but when we tested that bike a couple years ago, the geometry was already a couple years behind. Um, but as far as suspension designs, I think they would be at the top of my list for bikes to try and learn about on the trail. That That's a really good example because that bike, because the suspension did stuff so differently too, it required different geometry than what it had. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So that's that's one that I think Gen 2 or Gen 3 or whatever, some incremental improvement on that design is going to help quite a bit. Yep. Yeah, I would agree. That thing was very interesting. It's very strange. Seen some, yeah, had some, had some, yeah, they had some more design issues that weren't related to the actual suspension performance, basically. Are you bummed you couldn't get a front derailleur on it, Casimir? What's the problem? No, there was a flex of the giant swing arm that was like oh, that, tiny little it lets the rear wheel track the ground when you're leaned over i know over. yeah Don't i had so that picky. rocky rm7 what, rocky <laughs> used to have a we keep going back to rocky's mark oh my god they had a thing they called it some kind of thing <laughs> did they really oh yeah it was designed that's how that rm7 was designed to like flex oh. around the, the that, ground that <laughs> that is some 100 percent is a thing in the world mm-hmm. but yep. just not with mountain bikes <laughs> exactly yeah <laughs> yeah all right everybody For, let's move on to comment gold though. Are we going to move on to comment gold? Yeah. I was going to say what bike I want, but I'll keep it. Oh, yeah. oh say what I bike. want to know what bike you want. Yeah. I'd go with that forbidden, especially if they come out with a longer travel one. Um, I think that'd be really fun. I like the I like the the way that a high single pivot feels on the trail. Like I've ridden that common saw downhill bike and definitely that rearward axle path is it's pretty cool. So, yeah. I just got the most boring regular bike in the world. It's so exceptionally regular. I like That's what makes it that raw Madonna. Oh. It's so regular. Like his the entire philosophy is like turbo regular. Regular and reliable. Yeah. Yeah. That's why it's good. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. We're gonna wrap it up with comment gold as per usual. The first one, Bergtech. You may have heard of them. They launched a stem. PT Diddy says, finally a company making aftermarket stems. 
<laughs> oh, it's this, so mean. I mean, the Burke Tech stem, stem, it does look really nice. But if I was a company who wanted to make a product, I mean, I wouldn't think, you know what the world needs? The world needs more stems. It is a it is a red ocean of stems. There's not not a lot of um, yeah money to be made in the stem world. But theirs comes in toxic Barbie color, so that's cool. Oh, fair. That's the other yeah. thing with these companies make up names for their colors. I was just talking about that with Sarah. Actually, she was writing something, and she's like, "Hey, Mike, if you had to guess, tell me what color turbulent is." And I, I like, what the fuck? God. I had no yeah. clue. I'm like, I don't know. What is color it, is it? It's splatter. I don't know. No, it's splatter, gray, Casimir. Yeah. It's gray. Oh, gray. Nice. <laughs> gray. Yeah. Turbulent is not a color. It's gray. No. Huh. Interesting. Next comment is from Vapid Oscar, and he says, do you order online or have a bike shop order online for you? And that's in <laughs> that's, response, I think, to one of, uh, was it a poll that we did? No, it was a, to our, um, to our bike, bike, future bike shops podcast last week. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, that's, a lot of times that happens. You go into a shop, and you're like, we don't have it, but we can order it for you. And you're like, yeah, I've got the internet, too. Yeah, yeah I can order it, and I'll pay, like, just above wholesale. Uh-huh. <laughs> CRC will send it to me right to my door. <laughs> yeah. The Yeah. The worst is when you are like, oh, okay, yeah, sure, I, I need this thing, and and they order it for you, and then two weeks later, it's still not there. You call them, they're like, oh, yeah, sorry, we forgot to order it. <laughs> or, oh, it's we, out of stock. We don't Hang have minimum on. order yet. <laughs> yeah, it's like, <laughs> all this is like, oh, my God, I could have just pressed buy on, on the little cart thing on the internet. Yeah. 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 That's why bike shops do have to adapt and change for sure. Yeah. All right. Ricky Bobby 18 is up next. He says, do higher spec models come with more vitality or is the vitality coefficient uniform across the line? What What was this for? This was under the, the uh, one of the common cell uh, product launches that is their press release. And it kind of had some, a little bit of a, it comes from French first. So oh. the French translation had some words in there that were kind of funny. So it, it said the bike had more vitality than before. And then, and further down that comment thread, somebody chimed in, oh, Cascade Components, he says, don't worry if you need even more vitality, we'll make a link that increases said vitality by at least 50%. Vitality is obtained through the solution that proves the smoothness of the Navier-Stokes equations. Oh my and you lost I thought me. that was great, because then I had to Google Navier-Stokes equations and then realized that was about like fluid uh, viscosity and stuff, and I thought that was great. I like when we have really smart commenters putting things oh, in there that's a rabbit so, hole yeah so anyways <laughs> yeah the new common cells have lots of vitality so yeah. speaking of the out. new common cells somebody somebody commented that uh on the am29 is like at this rate by the time the grim donut video comes out its geometry is going to seem dated they're not wrong it's true <laughs> yeah <laughs> we'll see you in 2030 everybody yeah but then we'll just say that the Grim Donut's an XC bike, and then it's fine. Yeah. Yeah. So we did the Impossible Climb a couple days ago. We filmed the Impossible Climb video. Uh, it was it had to be the hardest Impossible Climb because we're doing cross-country bikes. But we had a special guest. We included the Grim Donut. Uh, Complete with 155-millimeter children's cranks. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and like a 100-degree seat angle. And guess what? It didn't do too bad. It did way better than I thought. It felt like I was, it was really steep. It felt like I was standing up, walking up the hill, pushing a wheelbarrow. That's, that's the body position yeah. that I was in. And it, it's like being on a Stairmaster. When you make the seat angle steep enough, it feels like you're yeah. in that like Stairmaster position, even though it's like an elliptigo. Right. And I won't ruin it for everybody. I won't ruin the surprise, but I will say that it got just as high on the impossible climb as some actual cross country bikes. <laughs> 
I don't know if that's good or bad. I feel like it's going to encourage people to just be like, nothing matters. <laughs> weight doesn't matter. I want my bike to be 50 pounds. Oh, we, the weight matters. That's one thing. It weighs 34 pounds or something like that. And we also had it in the efficiency test, which is a whole other story. <laughs> um, but yeah, huge difference in the weight department. It's noticeable, but... Okay, that's that's all I'm going to say. I could talk about yeah, it. Yeah, don't for spoil it. it. Yeah, <laughs> I don't. I don't want to spoil. <laughs> all right, and the last comment, gold. It's from Transition. The boys at Transition. They say we're slightly surprised and maybe honored that when we released our lightest, most cross country bike to date, the biggest complaint is the amount of peanut butter on our sandwiches. We'll take it. They say, man. People, people love to complain. I think is that's an example. They were teasing, but it's funny that like they re- they looked at the video of the bike, which is a sweet video, and then there's like all these pictures from the trip report of where they filmed, and there was a picture of a peanut butter and like banana sandwich, and then the guy wasn't happy with the ratio of peanut butter to banana. I gotta say, I I feel like the transition guys are somehow needlessly self conscious about making an XC bike. Like, why did they think people were gonna be like, oh? transitions like lost their soul they made a 120 mil bike with a 66 degree head tube angle like well i think the market has been like typically run by like really big companies that have been doing it for years and years and this is their first really light bike designed to be competitive in that zone so i think they just kind of want to just felt like they were really defensive about it (laughs) it's like they they were they understood from their point of view that the spur is a very non-transition bike for them. You know, it doesn't fit into their other bikes, but that was their perspective. I mean, I sort of disagreed yeah. with that personally. Yeah, it's too. very transition-y. Look at the geo and the lines on it. It looks like a transition looks to me. Yeah, looks it looks great. amazing. Yeah. It's also beautiful. Yeah. 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 I don't know. It's okay, transition. We like it when you make XC bikes. Good yeah. job. <laughs> make more. Make more, please. <laughs> please make more. I think they're all gone. You know, I, I talked to Lars yeah. and I, yeah. I think they he's sold like, out yesterday. Yeah, they're gone. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. That's it for episode 13. Casimir, are you going to go ride an interesting bike today? Are you riding a normal bike or an interesting bike? I think all the bikes I have are pretty normal now. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. No, they're pretty normal. So, yeah. New but normal. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm going to go ride the Spur, which I think is still pretty interesting. Yeah.